and blesses the stars. No. It's just. And this just feels weird. This whole, this whole, like the, this word specifically, because they like a, I, I might not be able to sing it, because I'm, I'm struggling. Josh is supposed to pray over Becca for the word this morning. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for being here and meeting us. We take so much joy in just listening to your words. Thank you for opening us up and breaking through those walls that we've put up before you. Give us peace in your name. Amen. I was going to ask you to stand up, but never mind. <laughs> God is so good, isn't he? I'm excited for the word this morning and really nervous, so... God must be doing something inside of my heart. He's been working this word in my heart. And so I asked him on the way here that he would only bring the purity of his heart through me to this morning. So that's where my heart is. But have you ever had a moment in your life, just an ordinary moment, and when you look back, you're like, wow, God was really doing something? Okay. <laughs> You're all awake, good. Anybody have, just, are you just looking for those big moments? Nobody's looking for any big moments, big days, big exciting things happening. Come on, we're here. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. You got to have hope. She just prayed hope over you that there would be something big, that something that the Lord would do. But a lot of times those things happen in very ordinary moments. And sometimes those ordinary moments don't even look like the extraordinary is happening until you look back. 
And sometimes we have a very small frame for what's happening in our world. And I'm going to give you a picture right here. I want you to think about this picture um, of Jesus sitting with his disciples and him washing their feet. And we've seen this image, if you've been on social media at all, you've seen an image of, of that sort. Anybody seen it? If you, yeah, good. Awesome. Just think about it. I want you to actually think about that image. And I, I've thought it's so easy to take a very small frame and say, oh, that's what it is. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we think in such a small, narrow frame. And I've, as I've read this story over and over and over again, I realize there were so many layers to what this is that aren't touched by just looking at it. You actually have to dig into it. You have to search it out. You have to say, God, what were you really doing? What was really happening? And in that room, there was 12 men hanging out, eating food together. And right at the beginning, if you open your Bible into John 13, the passage is through John 13, and I challenge you to bring a notebook to church. Bring your Bible to church. Write some notes down. You might need to remind yourself in a couple days. And I've sat and I've thought, I don't remember what I was thinking about two minutes ago. It's so easy to forget. Like, come on, really? Sometimes we need to put, we need to press our thoughts into a piece of paper to remind ourselves of what God is doing. And so I just, there's intention in that. And I encourage you to have intention in that. The first verse in John 13, it says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's sitting in the middle of this, this passage, this story, sitting in the middle of this space. They're having supper together. And he's in the midst of it, and he knows what's going on. And so often we don't really know what's going on, but he did. And he says that he utterly loved these men. He loved them with a fullness of love. And as he's sitting with them, I'm going to list them to you so you can remember who they are. Anybody know one of them? There's 12 of them. Nobody remembers any of their names. (laughs) I like quizzing you. I don't know. (laughs) There's Philip. And then there's Simon, which was Peter. And there's Thomas, which a lot of times he got the coin of doubting Thomas. But this is after the fact. There was Bartholomew. He was sitting in the room. Maybe they had some good nicknames for him. Judas Iscariot was in the room. Peter's brother, Andrew, was in the room. The one that makes it very known, the one that wrote John, the beloved, was in the room. He was, he was the beloved. He knew who he was. There was Thaddeus. There was two brothers called the Sons of Thunder, James and John. Matthew was in the room, and he was a tax collector. And then there was Simon the Zealot. So there was these men. They were rough. They, I mean, come on, just picture them all sitting around eating something, probably ripping into a turkey bone. I don't know. Just think about it. You got to think about they're sitting together and they're having conversation. What were they talking about? What was going on in the room and what was happening? And, and a lot of times you can be sitting in the midst of a room and be thinking about something totally different. And Jesus was, he's like, I'm thinking about that. I know the end is very close. 
He's thinking about, I know what's ahead. It's so close. I know the cross is right, right within my breath. I know that, I know that, man, I'm looking at Judas and I know that the betrayer already deceived him and that he's going to deceive me. He's sitting in the same room. He understands that Peter, the one that's real loud a lot, that he would deny him soon. He knew that. He knew that what was to come. He knew the pain, the agony, the the torture that he was just on the edge of. There was this shadow of what was going to happen. And I think about like when he's sitting in the room and, and there's this moment That he's like, I want to express my heart to these men because this is the last moments. What would you say if you were in the last moments to those that you love? What would you express to them? What would you, what would your heart rend to them? If you couldn't even, I feel like the words weren't even there of what he wanted to give them. And so he showed them. In John 13, 2, it said, During supper, after he knew that the devil had already been put in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Just think about that, that this was just a normal moment they were having supper together. I know for me, last night, we were having supper together, and there was a lot of things happening at my table. Water got spilt. Someone told me they didn't like what I made. Actually, I didn't cook. Callie cooked. That was nice. (laughs) They don't like the food, regardless of who cooks it. You know, like that was happening. Then all of a sudden, like this person was like, you're looking at me wrong. And that person's like, you kicked me under the table. And all there's chaos chaos happens. And I actually stopped them. And I said, we're all sitting here. And there should be like soft music playing. And there should be us laughing and having fun. They're like, yeah, right, mom. This is not a Hallmark movie. You know, there was that mom. You know, like, that actually happened last night. I'm not making it up. I just wanted a good moment, you know? You just want a good moment. And then you walk in from like, and it's just like, what was happening in that room? The truth is none of them knew that those were the final moments they'd have with their savior. None of them understood it. None of them actually saw the unveiling of the reality of what was about to happen. You get the good part of being able to see the look back, but they didn't have that. So they're sitting in this room and Jesus was sitting there. And in verse three, it says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given him all things into it, his hands, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. He was very conscious of his, of his position. He was the son of God. He had all power and all authority and he had displayed it in time. You saw it. You saw things that he did. You've read it in the, in the Bible of the things that Jesus did on the earth, healing the blind. Lazarus, just, just weeks before or days before, I don't know, got raised from the dead. Like He knew the power that was contained within him. He was mighty. The king, Jesus. And he knew where he was headed. 
And in those last moments, he wanted to express his extreme, absolute, unutterable love. And so in John 13, 4 and 5, it says he arose from the supper and he laid aside his outer jacket and coat and he took a towel and I don't know how big it was because it had to wrap around his waist. And he took water and he went to his disciples and he poured the water in the basin And he was ready to do an act that was actually so humble. The most humble love that could ever have existed. And I wondered who might have been first that he walked up to. Maybe it was James and John, those two brothers. Those rough brothers ready to destroy the world. Maybe it was them and he washed their feet. And then he moved from them and maybe he walked over to Matthew, the tax collector, and then he got down on his knee and he just said, hey, let's, I'm going to wash your feet. And he started washing his feet. And then he got up and maybe he went over to Judas next. And he took the towel and he washed his feet. And maybe he went across the other side of the table and there was Thaddeus and Bartholomew. And he positioned himself and washed their feet. Then he got up and he walked towards John the beloved and he washed John's feet. And then maybe he got to Andrew and Peter was right next to him. And Andrew allowed him. But, but Peter, when he came to Simon Peter in verse 6, he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? I want to... I want to switch gears on this side now. The seat in which we sit. The love and the action was so displayed. He was ready. He was moving. He didn't make the guys get in line. Hey, get in line. Let's one after the other. Let's do this. He walked to them and he washed their feet. What was he thinking about them? And then all of a sudden he came to a stopping point and Peter's like, I understand who you are and you wash my feet like I don't I don't know about that and Jesus responded to him and he says what I am doing you do not understand now but afterwards you will understand and right after that Peter goes you will never wash my feet And I want, to think, I want you to think about this chair. It's open for any of us. Jesus sits there and is willing to wash our feet. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, humbled himself and washed his disciples' feet. Displayed this action that's towards us. But your response is your choice. Each of us, we can arise in pride and say, you know what? I forgot. Yesterday I hiked and my feet got real sweaty and I just don't think you want to touch them. Like they're probably really gross, real gross. There's probably no deodorant for feet, you know, like, and you walk away from that moment. Or you say, wait a second, you know, I got a good idea. You've got all the things and I got my own bar of soap. I can do it. 
and you pull out your own decisions and your own, your own ways and your own ideals of how, how you can get clean. We do that so easily. We, what, just give me a second, Jesus. Let me clean my own feet and then I'll come to you. How quickly do we do that? Oh, wait a second. My feet are they're not so bad, but maybe I should, you know, shine them up a little bit. We want to get so perfect over here that when we sit down, we're like, we, we got us covered. We don't really need the master to wash our feet. We're not willing to actually refuse the pride and receive this. Sitting in that seat is receiving the humble love of Jesus. Any person can sit in that seat, but it actually requires you to humble yourself and say, I need to be clean and I can't do it myself. No matter how good you try, no matter how many times you, you want to fix all the mistakes you made, your, your sacrifice, your ability, your money, your anything is never going to measure up to the cleansing blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can cleanse you and wash you and make you whole. And putting your pride between you and Jesus does not solve the answer. And that's what we do sometimes. We'll rise in pride and say, I've got this, all right. All right, God, you know, the things that are real hard, those are the things. I'll do the rest. Peter was claiming that he understood the relationship between him and Jesus more than Jesus did. When he said, you'll never wash me. And he's like, but Peter, do you not understand and this is what he said to him. If you want to look in John 13, verse 12. I'm sorry, that's not right. Jesus said to him in verse 10, it says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. But Peter, I read the wrong verse, I'm sorry. The one where he says, like, you have to be washed. You have no part with me if you're not washed. It's actually in verse 9. It says, Jesus answered him, if you do not wash, you have no share with me. He really wasn't talking about his feet. He was talking about him spiritually being washed and being clean. All the way. And Peter was like, I'm on board. You can wash my head. You can wash my hair. You can wash my feet. You can wash my hands. He's like, no, dude, we don't need to do all of that. We just need, you just need to really understand that it's me that cleanses you, not you. When he did say, not all of you are clean, it's because he washed Judas's feet. But he didn't actually receive it. He didn't receive him, and he walked away from him. The main purpose of this story is that you might understand the absolute love of Jesus. That he would humble himself. 
that he would bow himself into a position to serve, to give everything in that moment. This was his last representation of his love towards us. I mean, one of the last. The cross was incredibly giant. But he was making a purpose that we all need to be cleansed from sin. And that he was the only one that can do it. I think about those moments like after the fact and the day went on and they went back into supper and he broke the bread and, and the betrayer left and they still didn't really fully understand. And then the moments that followed at the cross. And there's really no other reason that he wouldn't have done that except that he is, has such a love for us. As John wrote this, John had experienced a lot of things in his life. From my understanding, he wrote the book of Revelation before he wrote the book of John. I could be wrong. Don't take me at my word, but I believe that's to be true. And in Revelation, he had a vision of Jesus, and it says in Revelation 1.16, it says at his right hand, he held, held the seven stars. And then in verse 13, it says he was clothed with a long robe and a golden sash was around his chest. And he had that moment where he could see the king of glory. And in his, in his mind's eye, when he looked back, he could see him sitting with a towel wrapped around his waist. And a water bucket in his hand ready to wash, his, wash John's feet. This is the king that you serve. The God that loves you with such an intensity. The God that's willing to, uh, to be so humble in a space that, that you might actually see the greatness of his love towards you. And that's towards all of us. That seat over there is for anyone to choose to humble themselves and sit in. And as I, as I was sharing this and thinking about it, and he says, I've given you this example that you should do just as I have done for you. And I don't like feet at all. So to wash someone else's feet would be terribly not fun. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else. But that he asked us to do the same. But in reality, it's a position of our hearts to say we can be a leader that serves. That we can have a heart to serve one another. That we can do it just the same way as Jesus did. A love that serves. A love that bends to our pride. Like it just it bends to service. Like we choose to serve versus stand on our platforms and say, well, we're just too good for that. And that's in every aspect of our lives. Is your heart the same as Jesus when it comes to your family? I challenged my youth and I said something about their response to their parents. And they looked at me like, ooh, that didn't sound very nice. Because I said, well, when your mom asks you to do something and you say, well, why should I have to do that? My kids say that to me. And I'm like... 
because I said so, you know, I don't know. But like in reality, shouldn't our heart be, yes, I'll do that, no big deal. Or when you walk in your, in your room with your spouse and their clothes are in the same place that you hate that they're in and you can like, can't you pick up your own clothes? Like you, I, I didn't marry, you didn't marry your maid. You know, we get that way. But is that the heart of the servant? Willing and saying, I'll do it no matter what. No matter how many times. See, when Jesus showed you this example, he had the ability to say, well, I already know that Peter's going to deny me. And I washed his feet. I already know that Judas is going to deceive me with a kiss. Can you believe that? I know he's going to do that. But I choose to humble myself and wash his feet. And a lot of times we want this perfect example or this perfect situation. And then I will serve. Then I'll do it for you. If you only say it nice enough, then I'll do it. I mean, if you wouldn't use that tone with me, then I would actually do what you want me to do. We do that. We get in our own space. I, I can even say for myself with my kids, like, I've said this, like, I'm not your maid. And I understand that I have to train my children to be and have a heart to work and to serve. But, but how they respond doesn't have to affect how I am. I can lead by example. I can teach by example. Those words actually shouldn't be uttered out of my mouth because my heart should always carry the position of, of a servant. Always willing to serve, no matter what the cost, no matter how hard it is, no matter how many times they did it again. What about in your church choosing to serve in the body of Christ? Saying, my heart is to serve. If that means I'll take the trash out of the church every week. I'll walk through the building, make sure there's no trash on the floor after a service. I'll ask pastors, what can I do to serve here? What about in your job? Are you only there for the paycheck? Is your heart to serve like Christ serves? Is your heart to say, I'll go the extra mile. I'll do the extra bit. I want to show you how much I can serve. Even in our community to reach people. Those that we really don't like. Is our heart humble enough to say, I can love with such a love that they can see Jesus. And let me tell you, I think Jesus knew it would be hard. Is anybody, is it hard for anybody? Oh, just two? Y'all got an easy street at home? Everyone just does everything right? No, it, it is hard. Come on, it's hard. It's hard to walk humbly. It's hard to serve, especially when the parameters you don't like. It's very challenging. You, is it challenging in your work more or at home more? With your spouse or your kids more? It's hard. Like, it's hard. And he says in Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Who is that? Point at yourself. That's me. Holy and beloved. So loved by God. He said, put on compassionate hearts. 
and kindness. Ding, ding, ding. Humility. Meekness and patience because he knows that it's going to be hard. And unless you clothe yourself with it, unless you decide I am this versus me, it's called Jesus more than Becca. When people encounter me, they should encounter Jesus more than they encounter Becca. That's when I clothe myself with humility and I say I can be more like Jesus than I am who I am. And then he goes on in Colossians 3, 14, he says, above all of those things that you could have put on, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Sometimes you actually have to do the act of putting those things on. We do that in my house. When, when there's all that stuff that happens, I'm like, you need to put some humility on. And they're like, we put humility on. Because we actually can uh, take hold of that promise that it can be a part of who we are. You don't have to do it all in your own strength. Do you have all the love you need to love all the people in the world? Nope. Sometimes it's hard just to love your kids, you know, that are in your house all the time. You got to actually have the love of Christ in you, moving through you. Because then you can do what Jesus told those guys at the end of that supper. In John 13... 34 and 35, he says, well, I have a new commandment for you. That you would love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And why? So that they will know that all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. That we might reach the people that need Jesus. That we might love so well that when people walk into the space with you, they're like, man, they love Jesus. How many times does that happen in your world? When's the last time someone walked into your countenance and said, man, they love God. I can see it just the way they love their kids. Whoa, that's how God loves? Whoa, you know? Or the way you love your husband or wife? Whoa, I, that's the way Christ loves the church? Whoa. We should be encountering, we should, people should encounter us and encounter the Lord's love. Because his love was literally the most amazing thing. It is actually the most amazing thing ever. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we're a hot mess and messy and in our funk and all the grossness, he died for you. He actually knew that like the whole picture like you could see the kind of the picture of Judas Iscariot a little bit. He knows your whole story. And he chose to die for you. Might you die that he might live through us. Might we put to death our own flesh. Our own selfish desires. Our own pride. Put to death your pride. There's nothing that needs to stand between you and, and the Lord. And allow his love to be a, a flow through your life that might reach into the depths of someone's heart and pull them out of darkness into light. 
Might your love be the hands that reach someone out and take them out of all their trash and all of their garbage and say, but there's a glorious father of light over here that loves you. Would you stand with me? I think the thing that caught my attention the most in this story is like the idea of those men looking back to that moment when he said, you don't know what I'm doing right now, but you will know. And then hours later, they could look back. And in years later, you get to look back and say, man, he was loving us so well. He was willing to do whatever it took to love the people. And then he says, look, go be that same example into the world. There's such a crazy love that God has for you that's so good and so powerful. And if you don't know that love, It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and washes us white as snow. It's all of him in us that makes us able to live out what we need to do. It's his love that redeems us and cleanses us and makes us holy. And there's always opportunity to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. So the prayer people want to come up and if anyone needs a moment of prayer or wants to come to the altar or to be prayed for, there's opportunities this morning. There's opportunities for you just to give your heart anew to Jesus. There's opportunities for you to lay down all the places of pride, lay down all the places that we struggle with and just say, you know what, I'm leaving them at the altar this morning. So as he plays the music, we're going to give it a space for you this morning, and then we're going to pray to close.
rest of this week to your people. Releasing hope, encouraging and strengthening us for the things that you have us to do. God, you're so good and we love you so much. Tell him how much you love him. Let's go.